I had a, just a moment with Christine just a second ago, and she was reminding me of a prayer request that came through. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to share it publicly or not, um, so I'm going to pull it up because she thinks I'm supposed to, and I want to make sure that we are praying, and for those that want to be encouraged by knowing that a church uh, family is praying for them. Uh, it says, please pray for the Skirky family. Uh, Tim's brother Matthew passed away on Friday of complications of dementia and Down syndrome. He was 56 years old. Matthew and Tim's dad used to come to our church several years ago before Tim's dad passed away. Tim is gone for the weekend, but I'm sure he would appreciate me reaching out to you. Uh, Tim's brother Chris is handling all the arrangements. We uh, they will not. The service will not be at our church, and the details will be uh, followed. But I wanted. I was going to start our, our our time off in prayer anyway. So we'll go ahead and um, pray for this um, event that is taking place in the lives of people we know and love. Not everybody knows the Skirkies, but if you have little ones that have been through Sunday school, you've probably encountered them as as your children's teachers. Um, they are very giving people, and uh, very thankful for them. But let's pray uh, this morning. Uh, in my prayer, I'll say uh, there's another reason I wanted to open with prayer, and, and so I'll just pray that. That way you kind of know what's coming. But Father, I thank you for this time uh, for your family, your children to come and uh, into your presence and, and ask a request um, on behalf of, of fellow church members, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, we do pray for the Skirky family and, and the extended family that will be, again, mourning, uh, grieving um, the, the death, the homegoing of Matthew. And, uh, Father, we, just, uh, we know there's much that has to be done uh, to take care of the arrangements. But, Lord, it's very fresh. And so we pray that your presence would be known in their lives. Thank you that we can come to you. We have the confidence that you are a loving God who desires to hear our praise and our petitions. And so, Father, as we uh, pray for the needs of, of this family, Lord, we pray the need for the needs of our family, this church family, and, and the extended family that are uh, represented by those in the room. Uh, Father, we, we recognize that this life is difficult, and there are many stressors. There are many things that can come into our lives and, and cause us to worry. And Father, I pray that as this particular text of Scripture is unpacked this morning, Lord, your, your word is very clear and it's very simple. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive your word, that we would meditate on it in the coming days as we encounter these difficult times. And Lord, as we seek to glorify you in all areas of our life, we pray specifically for the area of those and those areas where we are greatly concerned, even anxious. Lord, may you be glorified by the preaching of your word, by the reception of this of your word in our hearts, and by the living it out as we dismiss later today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we are going to be focusing uh, today on chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. Now, if you notice, we, we finished last week's sermon with verse 24. Uh, and I'm picking it up again as the, as the scripture reading that we've already uh, encountered. 
Um, it, 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 it's a seamless text, right? Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to likely hundreds of people, and he's conveying uh, truth. He's conveying challenge to them. And, uh, and he said, listen, you know, don't, uh, don't accumulate for yourself treasures on this earth. Accumulate treasures in heaven. Uh, that's that's uh, chapter six, verse nineteen, and and so and then he, and he, we finished in twenty four, where it, it just basically said that um, you know you can't serve God and Mammon, and we'll talk about that word in a moment. But we also had to pause and recognize that even this portion is part of a bigger portion. And and as I was reading through Matthew again, and specifically this chapter. Uh, the last two chapters, I wanted to just bring your attention to two verses. One, Matthew 5.16 has been, was the theme verse for the entire last year, which was, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And our theme for the year has been, has been Christ in us, literally, re- the, the reality of Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. As we live in community, it's revealed here in this room and here in this, on this campus, but it's also revealed outside into our community at large. And so uh, to unbelievers, Christ in us makes a difference in people's lives. And so I, I wanted to re- remind you about that text because this is still driving my train, and I think it's driving an aspect of this sermon. Jesus is calling us to live in a certain way, a certain way that brings glory to God in heaven. But I also want to put this in contrast to Matthew 6, 1, which says, Take heed that you do not do your righteous acts before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So why am I bringing this up? Well, if you notice in the 1, it says you're, you're, you're supposed to let your light shine that they may see your good works. And then in Matthew 6, 1, it says, Do not do your righteous acts, which seems somewhat similar to good works, before men to be seen by them. And it's, I don't know, I thought it was interesting. So I went on Google. I don't know about you, but the fastest way to find something dealing with a passage of Scripture is Google. I'm amazed that the things of this world can be used for study of the Word. But I'll tell you, I have all kinds of Bible programs, but Google beats them all when it comes for speed. All right? Not detail necessarily, and not necessarily always truth, but it helps me find a bunch of hits and and I wasn't the only one that had this question. What's the relationship between Matthew 5.16 and Matthew 6.1? And so I asked the question, should our good works and righteous acts be seen or not seen? The answer is yes. <laughs> and, and, and it makes sense, isn't it? All things are yes in Christ, and that's the context of the, of the sermon. Jesus is saying, he says in one place, listen, uh, let, your, let your good works be seen. Why? So the Father is glorified. And the second time, don't let them see your righteous acts, specifically the giving prayer and, and, and fasting. Why? Again, so God is glorified. So Because the, the Father who sees in secret can reward openly. But he, he's going, these, these rewards that we gather as believers are only gathered if they're done in faith. So should our good works and righteous acts be seen or not seen? Yes, that is the answer, but only if they are genuine, which brings us back to last week's sermon. And I asked the question, what makes our acts of righteousness genuine? And so there was a twofold answer. When they are done in faith for God's eyes only, 
right? That's, that's, and with eyes only for God. And we're going to pick up on that theme of eyes only for God. You know, there's some old song, and I, I did not Google it, right? I only have eyes for you, right? Anybody have any info on that song? I want to see if there's any music nerds in the room, all right? I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's a love song, right? I only have eyes for you. I would sing it, but that would be dangerous. Uh, I can flutter, okay? All right? I only have eyes. But this is, this is talking about more than just romance. This is, this, is, this is a relationship we have with God. And we are called to live our righteousness in front of the world at times. Right? Certainly. We're doing it right now. We're living out our righteousness right now. But we're supposed to do it with uh, with the motivation of we really only care what God thinks, not what what other people around us think. We're not motivated. We should not be motivated by others. And while I'm I'm wearing the right thing, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm appearing in the right places, it's not about that. Both of these must be true for our righteousness to be genuine. It's Two sides of a coin for God's eyes only, but also eyes only for God. And I, and I ask you to consider, as I did last week, we're just building off of last week. Are your eyes focused upon God? Don't, don't accumulate treasures, earthly treasures. You're supposed to be seeking heavenly treasures, which means we're, we only have eyes for what God wants us to do in our world. Matthew 6, 24 uh, through 34 is the passage we're looking at. We're familiar with this text. You know, you can't serve two masters. I didn't spend a lot of time on this. But it's definitely a transition text of, of sorts. But it concludes with this, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I probably didn't explain mammon well enough last week. I was running out of time. But I will say mammon is the idea. It's translated as money. It's translated as worldly wealth. Uh, one author I was reading uh, liked the idea of material things. The things this world has to offer. And so I'm asking you, if, if you're not caught up in money, but you're caught up on your iPhone or all things Apple, right? If you're not caught up in money, but you must have a certain kind of car and a certain kind of home and a certain kind of this and a certain kind of that, I'm asking you, please enter into the text of Scripture. You cannot serve God, which is the heartbeat of genuine believers, is it not? I mean, if you, as you come to church this morning, as you live out this day in front of your family and friends, can you say with passion that you have a desire to, to serve God? And it doesn't mean just serve. Oh, by the way, thank you young people who were active in the collecting of the offering, right? Oh, wow. I want young people to read scripture. I want young people to collect the offering. I want young people playing instruments. I want young people greeting. I want young people doing all kinds of things in here. Why? Because as we were sharing in the ecclesiology class at Sunday school, we need to make sure that our next generation understands what church is all about. And serving one another as we serve God is certainly part of it. And I, I, I jumped for joy. I think my wife could actually attest to the fact that I was like, oh, I mean, I saw two little girls, two young ladies, you know, uh, uh, collecting the offering. I thought that was wonderful, right? But we cannot serve God, which is the heartbeat, I think, that we sh- are coming with this morning, and material things, worldly treasures. 
earthly treasures. We can't do it. And I think there is a tension that we must enter into to appreciate the text of Scripture we're about to embark on. You may not consider the, world, the things of this world an enticement to you, but they are. And we have, to, we have to be real about it. We live in this world. There are things that we need. There's things that we want. And so when we talk about serving God, we are called to a singular focus. All right, so let me just keep going. So Christians are called to an undivided loyalty to God. And, and, and it's, it's taught throughout Scripture, right? I'm not going to take the time to go through all of it, but I'll say, look to the Old Testament, right? You, they're undivided loyalty to God. Let's get rid of all the people in the promised land. We, we, want, we want to come. God is paving the way for the Israelites to come into the land and be faithful to God alone. Don't, don't intermix with the other nations. They're just going to sow false teaching and lies and all kinds of sin into your lives and your, your loyalty is going to, be, going, to, going to become divided. When we get into the New Testament, Israel is not necessarily characterized by the undivided loyalty of the Old Testament. They're, they are pretty focused on serving God and Him alone, but, but their, their undivided loyalty morphed into a religiosity or some, some aspect of living out their faith, but it wasn't faith. It was it was actions that looked like faith, but it wasn't faith. It's like in 1 Corinthians 11 with the, with the Lord's Supper. You know, it looks like the Lord's Supper. It tastes like the Lord's Supper. But since it's not done in faith, it's not the Lord's Supper. You're doing it wrong. We are called to an undivided loyalty to God. I think that's pretty basic. Like I said, the text is pretty clear, but uh, let's just keep going. So what happens when our loyalty to God is threatened? I don't know if you want to put yourself in some sort of war scenario or some sort of uh, uh, whatever might work for your background and, and history, but it's like, you know, you have a loyalty to something. I had a loyalty to a football team until they changed the name, and I don't have a loyalty to the new name. So, therefore, I don't have a football team, right? Uh, I'm not loyal to, right? I'm working on it. But what happens when our loyalty to God is threatened? What, what threatens your loyalty to God? It's probably things of this earth. So let's, when our loyalty to God is threatened, we are tempted to worry. But Jesus tells us to trust. This is the text. And so as I go into this sermon, I'm very aware that there are people in this room watching us online and all around us who are characterized by a deep level of worry. Many translations will use the word anxiety. The New King James does not use that word. It uses worry. We're not talking about legitimate concerns. I can't remember if I have a slide later. If I do, I'll, I'll pass over it then. But uh, I, I will say we're not talking about legitimate concerns. I have concerns that, that you will make it home uh, tonight with the snow that's falling right now, all right? I mean, we're not going to have any issues today. But tomorrow morning, you know, I'll, I'm going to be concerned. I'm going to be concerned. My, I, let, me, let me say my parents were concerned when I went out with friends in high school, right? There was a legitimate concern. I wonder if he's going to do right. I wonder if he's going to represent the name Odeorn well, right? And sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. But I will say they had a legitimate 
concern, but it wasn't the worry that we're talking about here. Little worries often grow into big worries. Maybe you could evaluate yourself and ask, you know, am I worried? Not just concerned about my retirement, I'm worried about my retirement. I have anxiety over my retirement. I have anxiety over walking into school tomorrow uh, because of a particular person or people. I, I, have, I am anxious. I, I, when, when someone walks in the room, I get all twisted inside. When, when, I, when, I, uh, when I know there's an expectation of me, I, I, I get all tied up in knots, and, and the worry becomes something that's not just simple concern. It turns into something more. And we live in a world of more, of more worry and more and more worry. The, the statistics, which I, I, I'm not privy to, I don't even know how accuracy. With the Internet, you just can't tell anymore. But I am told that this generation that's following, this younger generation, is characterized by more anxiety than any generation prior. And there's reasons for that. The Internet would be one of them. Right? I mean, there's any number of things that can bring anxiety into a person's life. But when our loyalty to God is threatened, we're tempted to do this worry thing. And we're going to be looking at this a little bit more. But Jesus tells us to trust. And, and so this is, I'm hoping that as we approach today, I am sensitive to the fact that there are those in this room who would say that you may be on medication for anxiety. I'm not. I'm not saying you're in sin. So please don't, don't fill in any of my gaps with any wrong thinking. I know that there are many, many people. I will say I know many, many people who are taking some level of anxiety medication. I'm not saying you're in sin. So hear me clearly. I'm also saying that there are probably people who have never experienced anxiety in their life. And you're going to be hearing this sermon and you're going to be like, yep, yep, preach it, yep, go ahead, you tell them, pastor, yep, yep, they need to get right, they need to trust God, right? Careful, right? Only by the grace of God, you are who you are and you have experienced what you've experienced. Uh, I won't go into detail, but I have been counseling people with anxiety for decades. I experienced anxiety for the first time last year. And I'm thinking to myself, if this, I didn't know what it was. I'm hyperventilating. I'm, I just, I'm like, and my brother told me he had something similar happen to him too and, uh, a few years ago. And we're both pretty laid back individuals, but I'm hyperventilating. I can't, I'm, 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 I thought I, I had a, what, EKG? Is that what I got? She's got a friend and got an EKG. And uh, drove up there, no, heart's good. Blood pressure's good. It's not physical, and I finally had to come to grips. I was having a, uh, a moment with anxiety that I had never had in my life, and I praise God for it because I now know if people are dealing with this every day of their life, wow, can I now have compassion in a way I could never have compassion before? Listen, folks, if you're dealing with severe anxiety and worry, I'm hoping today's sermon, this text of Scripture, will minister to you in a very tangible way. But I am going to call you to a challenge. 
But for those of you that have never experienced anxiety, I pray you never do. But I'm 58. I was, yeah, 58 when, when, when I experienced it for the first time. All right. And it's not fun. So here's a challenge. Consider all your external stresses and internal insecurities, right? The things that pressure us from the outside and the things that pressure us from the inside, I want you to consider all of them as opportunities to trust God. This is, I'll challenge you again at the end with this very same slide. I just, I think this is what we're called to in this text, that we are called to look at all these things as spiritual opportunities to glorify God in our lives. That's why I can tell you this morning, although I'm not happy that I went through, ang- the, the ang- and I'm not saying it's done, by the way. I'm, please understand. I'm not saying I deal with it every day, but, you know, it, it, it's amazing how once you've experienced it, it's like it comes back. It's like, ooh, there it is, right? I, I, I truly believe in the sovereignty of God, and if God allowed me to go through this, then, then, and if he continues to allow me to go through this, then I am called to accept this challenge. All right, Lord, if this is what's going on, I'm receiving it as an opportunity to trust you, and to trust you, and to trust you, and to trust you in the moment, in the moment, in the moment. I hope you will, too. So when we have eyes only for God, this is the overarching uh, uh, thought for the day. When we have eyes only for God, our anxieties diminish as our trust in God grows. We say that we are here to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission as a church, to see people come to faith in Jesus and to mature in that faith. This is just saying that in one area of life, when we have eyes only for God and we are focused on God, the anxieties those things that threaten us, threaten uh, to, uh, to the genuineness of righteous acts or whatever it might be. Uh, there are those things that are, it says, when we have these overwhelming concerns and, and these things that dictate the way we live, it, if we have eyes only for God, if we actually practice this and live this out, our anxieties will diminish as our trust in God grows. And this is where I have to say one more thing about medication. Um, again, I think medication has helped innumerable people. All right, I've, I've never been on a medication for it, but I know people who I know and love are, who are. And it is a blessing to them. I don't think medication takes the place of trusting in God, but I do think medication helps us pursue trusting in God. We're in, the, we're in the midst of, of just an, a, a panic attack or some, some level of anxiety that has just overwhelmed us. If there is a medication that can help me process that in the moment so that I can grow in my trust in God, by all means. But what I'm hoping to challenge the medical field with is that they don't think that they've come up with a cure because there is no cure for this. Anx- Overworrying is part of our human nature. And although it may not characterize you, it characterizes innumerable people. Because anxiety is a real thing. And it's, it's killing people. So I, I would ha- say that as uh, Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, we, we desire to have our eyes only upon God so that we can trust in him. And, and I, whatever you're anxious, I'm, I'm actually put, God, put this to the test over time, 
over time. I'll probably say more about this a little bit later. All right? So you cannot serve God and, God and mammon. Therefore, there's that therefore word based upon that challenge as well as what came in 19 through 24. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's, that's a bold statement. Then he kind of quantifies it. He says what you will eat or what you will drink, what you're, uh, nor about your body. Is that not something that's in our world today? Do we not have people who are struggling with their identity in, in many capacities, but we have young men and young women who are anorexic because they think they don't fit the model of what this world says is beautiful? And so, so we have all these people who are having anxiety about their body. Uh, it says what you will put on. It's the idea of I must wear the right things. I must... I must um, I must be there. I must look the right way. I must sound the right thing. I got to be in the right places. Listen, there's any number of ways that we struggle about earthly, material things. And, and Jesus is saying, therefore, since you can't serve God and material things, earthly things, do not worry about your life. These are the words of Jesus to you and to me. And he says, listen, is not, the li- is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So I, I had the note there at the bottom. Worry or worrying are used six times in these 10 verses. All right? Uh, 25 through 34. Right? Six times. The focus of this text is trying to confront us with the fact that we are worrying people. We are anxious people. Jesus, knowing our frame, he says, listen, don't worry. It's a command. Don't do it. And he gives us some uh, areas that are not exhaustive, but we can identify with them. What? Eating and drinking and and clothing. These things are necessary for survival. And and we we have to look at it from a 21st century mindset. But can you step back to the first century for a moment and understand that when you're talking about what you will eat, they were an agrarian culture and, and locusts came and destroyed things. Fires came, lightning would strike and fires would burn everything up and there wouldn't be any food and there was famine. There is famine in our world today. We get frustrated when, when Market Basket doesn't have what we want or Aldi's or whatever you say it, Aldi, Aldi. You know, we get frustrated at those things. But there are people who are legitimately going without food in our world today. What about Drink. We turn a spigot. There's other people that rely upon groundwater, the wells. And, and if there's a, an earthquake and that well collapses, there's no water. So please understand, the, Jesus is talking real life to these people. Clothing, clothing is what got you through winter. right? You needed clothing to stay warm because if not, you were exposed to the elements. They did not have central heat and central air conditioning. All right? But he, but, he, but he finishes here, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The expected answer is yes. Life is more than this. Life is more than the tangible things we see and have in our life. The material things we have, they are not what constitute life. There was one author, and I can't remember, he, would, he quoted someone from way back, but it was like the more material things that you have, the more worry you're going to have in your life. Think about it. I mean, a person who collects cars for a living, you know, they have 30 cars and they have to build a, uh, have to build a, a big garage to house them all. And they have to put a security system on it because, you remember, there are those that will dig through and steal 
you know, they'll take these. So the more things you have, the more, the more you have cause for anxiety over those things. Now, at the same time, it doesn't mean if you don't have anything, now, then you have anxiety about th- these food, water, and, and clothing, right? So life is definitely more. So what I want to do is challenge you with a few different ways that what? The ways we can trust God. And so if you get nothing else out of this sermon, you anxious Christians, right? Because I am speaking to Christians, by the way. Anxiety is characteristic of our world, but we can understand that as we get into the text. What I'm saying is for for Christians, this is is worse. We can trust God because he is the creator and sustainer of life. It is not just a theological position that we believe in God created all things. Is that it is a tenet of our faith for sure, but it's also a source of, of confidence. We can trust God. Why? Because He created everything. And if we when we look at the text, we'll see that since He is the creator, He is also the one who sustains all things. Let's look at what it says. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? He's like, listen, we, listen the birds of the air, we know birds, and we say they're created on, well, there are certain children's Sunday school classes, teachers that would be able to say, yeah, on day whatever. I don't remember, okay? But during that seven-day creation, six-day creation, uh, birds were created, and the birds of the air, and they don't, they don't sow. They're not agrarian. They don't reap. They don't go and fill their barns with stuff. They don't, they don't do this stuff, but God feeds them. Our heavenly Father feeds them. And he says, are you not more of value than they? So as we talk about, can we, we can trust God because he's creator and sustainer. He doesn't just create and sustain and like step back. He creates and sustains day after day after day in each of our lives. We are of value. All right. Which of you worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you have, I think it might be the ESV or maybe the New Mexico Standard, I don't remember. Um, this text would say, uh, which one of you worrying can add one, one day to his uh, lifespan or one moment or a few minutes? It's, it's, it's actually in the Greek text, there's, you, you translate it differently depending on what you think he's accomplishing. Both are accurate. It, it's not, that's not the point. The point is, listen, which one of you worrying can change anything about your life? A cubit, by the way, is like 18 inches, right? If, if, it's, if it's the idea of height, which one of you worried can add? I'm not really worried about height, okay? But I know some people who might be. I actually thought about this. What, what a great verse to help a child understand the nature of anxiety. If, it's a, if the child is short and they are anxious, they love basketball and they're Ang- they're having a bout of anxiety because they want to make sure they can grow 18 inches so that they can be in the MBA. I could say, okay, that might be it. Most people assume that it's the other idea that how much of us can add a moment to our lifespan. Now, as you get older, and I'm getting older, I find myself saying more and more, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, I'm ready to go home. I talked with a, with a sister in Christ not too long ago, had a car accident, and they talked about this peace that came over them. They thought they were going to die. I had that same peace back in 19, 1991 time frame. 
I did two 360s in the middle of 95. Uh, I was traveling back from visiting a certain young lady in Lexington, Massachusetts, and, and uh, it was nighttime, it was raining, and I was speeding, and my tires tread was low, and I did two 360s in the middle of 95 between Lexington and, and Cranston. And um, uh, I remember the utter peace that I had in that moment. I literally knew, I, I took my hands off the wheel. I was spinning, there's nothing I could do. And I knew if I, if I corrected the wrong way, I could flip the car, I could do any number of things. I just took my hands off the wheel and said, Lord, I'm coming home. I remember it like it was yesterday. There was this overwhelming peace, like, okay, I'm good with this. Um, and then I landed on the only patch of grass that I can't even find to this day. Uh, and, and I just drove home, you know, on the edge of my seat from there on, Right? Many of us would like to have some extra time in our life. But I haven't done this yet. I haven't done, again, I think a young person might, someone who's dealing with illness, whatever. We could be praying this stuff, right? But that's not the point. The point is that we have this desire, but we can't do anything about it. Whether it's height or span of life, there's nothing we can do. So why do you worry about clothing? He's saying, listen, if you can't add a moment to your life, why are you even worried about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither, uh, they neither toil nor spin. They don't, this is kind of like the birds, right? And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Uh, what a text, right? The beauty of God's creation, Jesus uses as an illustration. He says, now if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? It's the idea. Listen, you, you, you know, aren't you more valuable than birds? If God, is, as the creator and the sustainer of life, if he's created the, the, the lilies of the field, and, and, and they're going to look beautiful one day, but by the end of the day when the sun comes up and scorches them and you scoop it up and you put it into the oven to start a fire, if God's so worried about giving them beauty, is he not going to take care of you? Can we not trust God? That is what Jesus is trying to get across. We can trust God because he is the creator and sustainer of life. The birds are fed, the flowers are adorned, and Christians are valued by God, our Father. I wanted to mention that part because as we think about this, God being our Father is an important aspect of the text, and we'll see that again in a little bit. So he goes on in verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, right, uh, which today and tomorrow are thrown in the oven, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? How, you cannot get through this text and not wonder, what is going on? What is Jesus saying? I've read, I've read different authors, different things. I, it really, uh, I, thought, I thought Andrew did an excellent job of reading that text. Because we could say, will he not much more clothe you? You idiot. No, he doesn't say that. Right? Oh, you of little faith. Is, is he, is he uh, condemning them? Is, what, is, what is Jesus trying to get across? I had one author to say, hey, listen, let's, let's think about Jesus, who he is. He's gentle and lowly of heart, right? Uh, it's the idea of uh, how much, how, uh, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I think that's more the, the gist of it. I mean, I think it's a slight rebuke. Don't get me wrong. Because the idea here is he's talking to his disciples and, and those who are even beyond them uh, listening to him. 
And they are, they are concerned and anxious just like we are about different things, a different era of time. But he's saying, listen, there are those present in the room who are of little faith. There are people in this room, I will include myself, of little faith. In any area of life where we find ourselves being overly anxious, overly worrying, where it's actually controlling us, we are of little faith. Jesus also said this throughout, I think it's five times in the New Testament and four times during the book of Matthew. I'm not going to go through each one. But remember when he's on the, the Sea of Galilee and the storms are raging and, and he's asleep in the boat and his, his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, don't you care? And he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he says, oh, you of little faith. Little faith? We're scared out of our minds. We're going to drown Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. I think there's a message being conveyed there, right? Jesus would say, don't be people of little faith. Be people of faith. And when life circumstances are confronting you in a way that is overwhelming, turn to God and trust him. He's worthy of trust. So worrying accomplishes nothing. That's part of what this is accomplishing, this whole, te this whole text that we've been covering. Worrying it doesn't accomplish anything. I had one illustration. I was listening to a preacher, and he said, listen, even if I'm a thief, at least I get something out of it, right? I'm sinning, and I steal something. At least I have something for my sin. Here, he's saying this worrying is a sin, but you have nothing because you're worrying about something that more often than not never happens. I call it borrowing trouble from tomorrow, and we'll get to that, right? So worrying accomplishes nothing and demonstrates a lack of faith or trust in God. It, it does. That's what we're being confronted with. So when we have eyes only for God, our anxieties diminish as our trust in God grows. So he's, he's worthy. We can trust him because he's the creator and the sustainer, but we can also trust him because he's the redeemer, the father, and the king. This is where I wish we were an amening church. Because he's redeemer. And look at what it says. Therefore, do not worry. There's one of the six times, right? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He's very repetitive, Jesus is. But he's making a point. For after all these things, the food, the water, and the clothing, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. What is he talking about there? Well, I think he's talking about being a redeemer. He's saying, listen, you are, this, is, this message is for disciples of Jesus Christ. It's for kingdom dwellers. It's for those who are, who are called to, to uh, live out kingdom righteousness. And he says, we can trust God because he's redeemer. We're not like the Gentiles who seek after these things. And the world is seeking after those things. They are. For your heavenly Father knows what you, uh, that you need all these things. And so there's that emphasis on heavenly Father. So he's, he's redeemer and he's Father. Can we trust God? Well, he's redeemed us from sin. Can we trust God? Well, he's our Father in heaven. He is the, the perfect Father, not the Father of our, of our discombobulated world, the ones that some are good, some are not good. No one, none of them are perfect. We're talking about a perfect Father. And he says we can trust him because, we're, because he's king. He says, listen, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. 
Uh, but seek first the kingdom of God. And if there, where there's a kingdom, there's a king. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the idea of, of borrowing trouble uh, from tomorrow. So we can trust God because he's creator and sustainer. We can trust him because he's redeemer, father, and king. There's no reason where we cannot take encouragement and comfort from that. But thirdly, we can trust God because he's the provider. Look at that. He says, listen, seek the kingdom of God. That is what we are called to do, by the way. That's what we're doing in this whole Sermon on the Mount. We are supposed to be uh, kingdom dwellers, practicing kingdom righteousness in this life, not just the next. And we are supposed to seek him first, right? We're supposed to trust God first. Don't let worry overwhelm you. Turn to God. He says that all these things will be added to you, the food, the clothing, and the water. And I, I have to say something. I'm recognizing the time, but I'll say this. We have to wrestle with the truth that not every Christian has food, water, and clothing. This text is not promising that if I become a Christian, I'll have everything. It's saying that when I'm a Christian, I can trust God. He will give me everything I need for the moment. Because we know Christians are being killed and have been killed throughout history. We know they are starved. They are imprisoned. They are all kinds of bad things happen to people who are seeking the kingdom of God first. But if we're genuinely seeking the kingdom, those things don't matter. They don't matter to us because we are singularly focused. We are undivided in our loyalty. But we can trust God because he is our provider. He it says all these things shall be added to you at some level or quantity. God will meet us where we live. And he will provide for us. We can trust God because he is not only in control of the future, which we don't. We, we live, you know, we proclaim, when we practice the Lord's Supper, uh, we, we proclaim his death until he comes. We're always looking to the future. We're challenged in multiple places. Live in light of the coming day, the judgment of God, which will not be for believers. The judgment of the, 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 the great white throne judgment, right? Uh, it says we can trust God because he is not only in control of the future, he is also in control of today. And uh, we're reading a book in our life group, and I just started it, but it talks about the, go- the, the gap in the gospel or the gospel gap. And it says we, we focus on the fact, well, I've come to faith in Christ. I'm good. And he's coming again. Praise God. But I'm living in the gap between those two. And life is hard, and I struggle. And how am I supposed to live this way? Remember, the same God that has redeemed you and that will bring you to glory is the one that's sustaining you in the now. And so please understand, as much as we can trust God in all these other ways, you can trust him today. Because when we have eyes only for God, the troubles of this world are diminished. Would it help you to know that the difficult time that you're going through has purpose? Oftentimes we're overwhelmed because we don't understand the purpose. What if the purpose is God wants to grow you in trusting him? So when, next time you're, you're having an anxiety attack or you're, you're, you're overwhelmed by concern in some area of life of material things, stop. Stop. And pray. Right? 
Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your petitions known to God, and the peace of God that transcends, un- transcends understanding will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's the, a message to believers. When anxiety comes, pray and ask God, what are you trying to teach me through this? How can I trust you more? And I'm not saying, hey, take, take that verse and call me in the morning. I'm not saying it's just going to do away with anxiety. I'm saying it's a maturing process. As we grow in our discipline of having eyes only for God and looking upon the eternal things, the spiritual things, the things he's trying to get done, even our anxieties can bring him glory because when they diminish, it means we're maturing in the faith and we're trusting God more. So here's the challenge that I'm going to leave you with. And I'm leaving myself with this too. All the stresses, the external pressures on your life, finances, relationships, jobs, um, uh, whatever it might be, Right, The things that are just, you have no explanation for it. You have no idea how you're going to get out of whatever it is. Those stressors that are upon you and those internal insecurities. I will say, I'm, I'm a poster child for insecurities as a teenager. Right, And, and when I came to faith, I'll, you'd be amazed at how many of those went away. But I'll tell you, I'm still a poster child. I'm still someone that deals with insecurities. And I know that's, the, that's our human frame. So whether it's external or internal. Look at it as an opportunity to trust God and see what God does in your life. Don't beat this over the head of someone who's worried. Oh, you're worrying. You need to trust God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Encourage them. Talk with them. Walk with them down the road of their anxiety and help them come to understand how they can apply this to their life. All right? Please, if you hear me to this morning, I hope I haven't stepped on it on too many toes when it comes to uh, a topic that I'm not an expert on, dealing with anxiety. Many of you are more knowledgeable than I am about the damning, damning, that damaging effects. Oops. Um, could have been worse. Uh, the damaging effects of, of anxiety. But remember, God does not waste our pain, and he will use even as you are redeemed through this, as you are brought through and maturing, and God has more and more uh, focus on your life, you will lead others out of anxiety. Who will lead others out of anxiety? Because it's all based upon trusting God day by day. And let me just say that. It is day by day. Notice in this text, I forgot to mention it. Notice in this text, for tomorrow we'll worry about its own things. We borrow trouble from tomorrow. We start worrying about tomorrow. He says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's enough trouble for today. Just focus on that. But it's not focusing on it. It's trusting God in it. Don't trust God for the concerns of tomorrow, the the anxiety of tomorrow, because his strength isn't there yet. His strength is there right now in the moment now. Don't sit there and start piling it on. God works in his timing and his ways. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. You just live in the day and trust God today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. It is a, a compelling topic. One that I don't foresee ever going away until Jesus comes. 
Father, I pray, uh, uh, I, would, I would like to say it's a passionate a prayer, but I don't know if I can express it quite that way. But it's a heartfelt prayer, Lord, that people will meet you in their anxiety. And they will come to trust you in a way they, they haven't before. I'm not encouraging anyone to just go cold turkey with the meds. They might be necessary for you to grow step by step. But Father, we trust you. That you will glorify yourself through us and through those around us. And we ask that you would give us the strength to be compassionate towards those who are struggling with anxiety. And that you would give strength to those who are in the midst of it. And may we walk this road together as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we might glorify you. We do not seek to be seen by others, but we do seek to be, have our eyes only on you. So may you be glorified in the heart response of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.